Good evening, and welcome to another edition of No Lights Paranormal Podcast, where three nerdy paranormal investigators sit down and discuss spooky stories from the web. My name is Joe. I am the lead investigator. My name is Teresa, and I am the researcher. I am Alex. I am the equipment setter upper, a.k.a. tech wizard, a.k.a. Baba Yaga enthusiast. <laughs> we could do a whole episode on the AKA part. It's true. <laughs> also I, got, as, I got lots also of hackers. AKA ourselves right out the door. All right. Uh, yeah, so episode away. We're starting. Any announcements? Um, so the only announcement that I have right now is... Um, I will say Madison's coming pretty soon. Yeah, so. Madison Seminary Actually, is yeah. coming up uh, here in the middle of January. About a month from now, literally. Yeah, almost almost directly on the day. Uh, so that's going to be super awesome. It coincides with my birthday, so my birthday present to myself is us going uh, back to Madison, which is, is fabulous. Uh, we do still have a few slots open, and I think that I'm going to do a little bit of a... Uh, I'm not exactly sure how I'm going to handle it yet, but I, I'm going to offer for somebody to come along with us, a listener and a friend. So two spots uh, that will be open, and I will be posting that um, probably tomorrow, uh, Wednesday, uh, the 20th. Um, and so it will already be posted by the time you guys hear this. But yeah, we'll do a little bit of a contest and see who gets to come with us. Sweet. Dun, dun, dun. Sounds like a plan, my man. I like it. Yeah. I'll dig it a lot. A lot, a lot. <laughs> Listen, to be fair, uh, what we've learned is when we have the slots, the more eyes, the better, right? Yeah, yeah, the right. more the better. Yeah, because like we've talked about before, we kind of get desensitized <clears throat> to a lot mm-hmm. of things, and then we may not see something, but uh, somebody else may be like, what's that? What's that figure standing over there? And we're like, and what? Like, oh. <laughs> that, and I think, and I don't know how you guys plan on tackling it, but I think uh, I'm feeling, <laughs> I think I'm feeling like a lot more uh, secluded spots, mm-hmm. a lot more like... Yeah. Yeah, solo-ish stuff. <laughs> well, we, we've definitely already discussed a little bit with um, Matt, who who has uh, volunteered himself to sit uh, in the asylum with just himself and some equipment uh, for probably at least an hour or so, and just sit there and chill and see what there is to see. Yeah. I'm excited to see that aspect of it, and mm-hmm. I, I think that uh, <clears throat> between the well, three of us, four if you include Matt, um, I, th- I think that we should try to really explore that aspect in what some of the spots. What is also super exciting to me about it is that Matt is not a super seasoned paranormal investigator. So I'll offer this word of wisdom to Matthew. Mm. Don't fall asleep. Exactly. That's so true. <laughs> I don't think he will. I think he actually has that day off, so he should well, be okay. <laughs> no, it, I wasn't meaning that because of work and all that. I'm meaning that I've been in that asylum room. It's eerily calm. It is. It is eerily calm. You hear certain things, but if you're like, we're used to hearing random noises and right. footsteps and all that. So when you can't sit in there, it, it's one of those rooms like I've been solo before, and your, your mind does try to get the best of you. Like, what I see over there, and you start yeah. getting that paranoia a little bit. Um, but that asylum room, it's calm in there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like you don't really get a sense of something wrong until you walk down that corridor into the back room. Yeah, agree. And that's when you start getting that weird feeling. I think because it it was a common room for you know everybody to just kind of hang in and enjoy 
what day they right. had. Right. Yeah, it was like the recreation room. Yeah, right? Right. so it, it kind wasn't of. necessarily a, a creeped out place. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, but it's calm until it's not, because we did get... We experienced it, it, that. Exactly. It's we've we've got not. some videos of some weird shadows walking past mm-hmm. some windows and this and that. But so. I think yeah. that it'll be um, really awesome to have someone who is um, super interested in paying attention to the minute details of the room. Right. Uh, sounds and sights and smells and creaks and cracks and all that, who is not a super seasoned investigator who will be able to see it with fresh eyes. Yeah, that's and, the important part. Yeah, yeah, where we might, you know, overlook something and, oh, that's... You know. Or assume something is there that's actually not. Right, right. That's agreed. what I try to do a lot when I'm ghost hunting is not assume that something is there. Mm-hmm. Go into it with, like, a, not a pessimistic mind, but almost like a, uh, almost a like non-believer. A yeah. Just a blank slate. Really. Yeah, exactly. That and way I'm not setting myself up for failure. For sure. <laughs> I believe that, um, I haven't discussed it with him, but I believe that Matt is a believer in the paranormal. No. But he does He does definitely approach it with a very um, yeah. calm sort of demeanor. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know if it's necessarily skeptical, but even-toned, if you will. Yeah. We'll see when it pops off. Yeah, <laughs> he so, was asleep when it did it the last time. So. Exactly. So <laughs> maybe this time, if he maybe comes charging down the stairs, screaming at the top of his lungs, we know he saw something. <laughs> Don't take your dice, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be hilarious. <laughs> Hopefully, we can show him something fun. Yeah, I, that'll I would be interesting. That fun. I still have to request off the vacation time for that, so I forgot to do that. <laughs> I minus uh, is I believe it's the twentieth. It's that Saturday. Yeah. yeah. So. All right, so today's episode is all about Georgia. Yes. Georgia. Georgia, Georgia, Georgia peaches. peaches. <laughs> well, we know what you two are thinking about. <laughs> about peaches. Georgia peaches. <laughs> Pervert. <laughs> all right, so uh, we've already kind of discussed who's going to go early, and both Teresa and Alex both said that theirs is going to be thick. Yeah, so yeah. I'm going to go first because mine is not so thick. Uh, thick sewed today. Thick sewed. Just for the reason of, for those of you listening who don't know who I am, I enjoy a good masquerade ball every once in a while. I enjoy dressing up in outfits and doing this. Hell, that's how I went to my first Mushroom Head concert because they were doing that. Yes, we did the masquerade Um, ball. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I I kind of enjoy doing that every once in a while because it's kind of fun. I think that might have been the only way that I got you to a show. Oh, it was so much fun, though. It yeah. definitely helped. It did help. It was, it was like, a, hey, Joe, dress up. Yeah, Wear something nice. Because you were always like, Come, you got to see him, you got to see him, you got to see him. And I'm not big on concerts because of the crowd of people. I'm not a big people person. Um, but, yeah, that was definitely a selling part. So when I was looking up the stories for this, uh, the thing that caught my eye was the Ghost of Masquerade Nightclub. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ooh, let me look at that. That seems kind of interesting. And I found a whole bunch of other stories that I kind of want to look in. But, like, the, uh, the Fairy Cross... That they're finding in the parks, and apparently that's a key to pass into the fairy realm or something or other. But this one struck my interest for the most part. Uh, there has been countless stories of hauntings in the Masquerade Nightclub in Atlanta. One popular story is that of a large and tall black man who is always seen walking around the nightclub. The staff believes that this man, who turns the musical amplifiers every night, and upon further investigation, the amplifiers that they use are very heavy Mm. it would take more than one person to do it and it would Mm. be loud if you do it but apparently he turns them upside down interesting uh the staff has also reported hearing footsteps from unidentified sources 
as well as cold spots all throughout the building. Horrifying screams can be also heard can also be heard coming from the back of the stairs, even when there is no one there. They believe that the screams come from a young woman who died in a freakish accident in the nightclub. So, anybody who's been in a nightclub knows it's kind of dark, so accidents do happen in there. I don't know. I've never been to this one, so I'm kind of curious about the accident. Uh, nowadays, there are rumors that real vampires come to the nightclub and even live there. Some people believe that this is a rumor that has been spread to protect a business as vampires have become suddenly very popular thanks to Anne Rice and the fuck state that is Twilight. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a higher chance of visitors encountering wannabe vampires than real vampires when they go to the nightclub. So don't expect to get bit. You're not going to meet a Starian when you go there. <laughs> Baldur's Gate joke? Nobody got it? Okay. No, I, I actually it. haven't I like made it. it yet. I'm sorry. The, the Masquerade Nightclub in Atlanta has the interior and exterior grounds, which once belonged to a former ex- Excelsior, I guess that's the word. I think I'm reading that correctly. Uh, today it has indoor and outdoor concert spaces and live music that can be heard playing from the venue every night. Metal rock, punk rock, electronic, and indie rock can also be heard playing there every night, which I love that they called it metal rock and punk rock that's <laughs> uh the building where the masquerade nightclub stands today was once that of a dupree excelsior mill it is believed that the building was built as early as 1980 by the dupree manufacturing company the mill was expanded after the depression after the depression but after the second world war which now i'm reading it doesn't make sense because it says born ni- it was made as 1980 be it. Anyways, sorry, having a weird thought there. <laughs> My brain just went cool. sideways. Um, yeah, so World War, the demand for the Excelsior was reduced, and by the 1960s, there was no demand for Excelsior anymore. The mill was then transformed into a storage facility, and by 1977, was shut down completely. So I think there was a typo in that. I think they meant 1880 instead of 1980. Okay. So that's what I'm looking at. I'm like, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> All right. Uh, it became a pizzeria in 1978 and was closed for a time in 1989. It was subsequently reopened as a nightclub that we see today. Uh, so, yeah, upon looking it up, there's a bunch of stories from it from just like the random hearing people walk, screams. Uh, there was one report that I'll look for it now, but that there was a concert going back on there of the ghost, but no one saw the band or anything. Uh, thought that was super interesting because of what we talked about the other day. That was me slamming my phone down. Sorry, guys. Uh, <laughs> what we talked about the other day about the on the plantation. Yes. When they heard the hymns and everything like that. Exactly. Is that a residual haunting? That's right. So now we have another occurrence of music being played, but no band. Yeah. That's really neat. Uh, and the vampire thing, like, I looked up into that, too, because that really made me curious. Mm-hmm. Because you see it all the time in movies and all that about vampire clubs and all that stuff. Uh, yeah. What did you say it was called? The Masquerade. Which is interesting, considering that uh, <laughs> sometime yeah. in the 90s, uh, there was a tabletop role-playing game yeah. called, called the Vampire Masquerade. The Masquerade. Yeah. 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 No, And that was one of the things I brought up. Like, I think they think people are doing that just to... Because of the whole aura of the nightclub and that game. Mm-hmm. And, Ironically, and one Rice of their source Twilight. books was Atlanta by Night. Yeah. So <laughs> it, it's right. the, they're saying that it's a hoax. There's no real vampire there. That's why I said don't 
plan on meeting going there and becoming an immortal <laughs> being because it's not going to happen. Uh, there might be plenty of people there that will suck the life out of you, I mean, but don't, <laughs> they're not vampires. Uh, but all in all, they, it doesn't seem like a really, I'm going to use this term loosely, demonic place mm-hmm. for the history that it has. It seems like a, a nightclub that you go to that almost like the Agora. That you go there and you experience something there and you see something there, but it doesn't really seem like it's a foreboding presence. Right. Uh, because all accounts of the stories I saw, the guy turning the amplifiers upside down. It seems like harmless pranks. Gotcha. So maybe it's a trickster that's there. Who knows? Potentially. And that did spark the thought in my head just now of are all like concert venues, are they all like that? I don't know. Does it bring in like trickster spirits because of the group that goes there we've all been to concerts we know the group they're just the fun loving group there are some jack offs yeah not gonna lie about those but it's a fun loving group we're all there to appreciate the music the energy that are at, is at the clubs does that feed a certain aspect of, or entity of, yeah, or something yeah the curiosity that makes sense to me the curiosity for me would be uh whether you would consider that trickster or or just the easiest way for them to get attention. Well, somebody's yes. going to notice. Yes, you know what I mean. Uh, and turning huge amplifiers because, like I said, we've all been to venues and seen concerts. You've seen the amplifiers they use; they're yeah. quite expensive. They're quite huge. Yeah, I've moved them, and they're not. <laughs> yeah, right. So have I. <laughs> I was actually helped a certain. I'm not going to say who because I don't want to get out there. That I'm saying it fake, but I've actually helped. A famous rock star move his amplifiers, and yes, you are correct. They are heavy as shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, so that that being turned upside down when no one is in there, that would have to be done by a group of people and possibly even machinery. Yeah. Uh, so if that large black man, black mass, I should say, uh, is turning them upside down, yeah, I don't want to get called out for that. Yeah, right. That's <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. Um, I was just reading the story. Fine, they're stronger than us. <laughs> but, yeah, right. I don't know. But yeah, no, I, I read that and I kind of like, eh, that's a lighthearted story because I know you two researched the shit out of this because you had the time to. <laughs> so you probably had in-depth stories. So I was like, I'll probably make mine a little bit quicker. So I uh, tripped over mine literally the day after we recorded our last podcast. Yeah, I know. So <laughs> to be perfectly fair, my story is actually one that we have personal experience with and the story has... Um, I've known about the story for a long time. All right, let me set you in on a little preface on how Joe looks at stories. When we decide on this podcast, Mm. you will see the look on my face if you two both beam with brightness about the place that we're recording. Like, (gasps) I know this place. I automatically know I'm going to choose a short story. Oh, my God. Because you two get long-winded. And that's I I love that you guys do it. You get excited about it. I love to see it. (laughs) So, it, but I know, like, okay, I need to, I need to scale mine back a little bit because. <laughs> I, I was, I was actually joking to the guys that, um, well, not even joking actually, that my my story today literally could be its own entire hour session podcast. Like it's, yeah. She said that last week. Also, if you want me to be honest, mine has its own hour long sessions in other podcasts yeah, I've found uh, since then. Mine's, so mine also. See. <laughs> I'm gonna try to keep mine short winded. That or just cut my wife off. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I'm like, if I take 30 minutes, she can only do 15. Well, not only that, but out of the investigators that we have at the table, I am the most, the least seasoned. Mm, you guys have done a long time before me, so I'll 
it, like if somebody knows more than I do in a situation, I'll gladly bow out a little bit. Like, oh. Not 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 that I'm bowing out, but it's like all right, let them talk a little bit longer because they have more experience. Am, so I'll put my expertise and then let you guys go with it. I am deeply, deeply hopeful that one day I will get to take you uh, to the place that my story is about today. Oh, I'm for it. Let's go. Yeah. I'm not even sure. I want to go there again. It's fine. I know. It was pretty scary. <laughs> yeah. That's my story, guys. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then, Al. Go ahead and tell yours. And my gut instinct won again. <laughs> so, I, for one, love your story, Joe. It's fine. I thought it was awesome, too, actually. Uh, so, I am going to start my story uh, with a news article that was actually published on August 27th of this year. Okay. Like, literally... We'll, we'll, we'll start it this year, and then we'll back it up and tell you the origin stories. Cool. Uh, a 23-year-old man is dead after going for a swim. That's a headline. Um, the Georgia Department of Natural Resources uh, were told that a man went under while he was swimming and did not come back up. Uh, this was at 3 p.m. Uh, soon after arriving, game wardens were able to find the man's body in approximately 10 feet of water. What? How do you drown in 10 <laughs> feet of water? Oh, you can drown in, like, you can drown Literally like, a teaspoon, so, yeah. I know, but that's... <laughs> Let me carry on. Go yes. ahead. Same news article. Um, the man was identified as 23-year-old Edgar. I won't give last names because I just don't. I get you. Well, this is also a, a recent story, so... Uh, his Edgar. city of residence was unknown. Uh, this was the third death at the lake in recent months and the seventh this year of drowning a 16 year old or a 61 year old stone mountain man disappeared after he dove off the side of a boat in late July his body was recovered a few hours later a 27-year-old man also disappeared while swimming in the lake the same day. Uh, just a few days before, 24-year-old Thomas uh, was killed after jumping off of a dock into the lake. So don't jump off anything. Got you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Between the years of 1994 and 2022... More than 200 people have died at this lake. Which, if you do the law of averages, that's like eh, 10 to 11 a year. Doesn't sound as bad as it is, right? <laughs> 10 or 11 a year death? Ah, it's not that bad. <laughs> um, so, let me break it down a little bit more for you. Um, between 1999 and 2018, uh, this lake chartered or clocked in it 58 boating fatalities, which means, you know, we go to a lake, right. some people probably drink, eh, boating fatalities, you're going to write that some. off as of somebody who was partying a little too hard on right, the weekend. Right, right, and, right. Um, so 58 boating fatalities, 145 drownings. That's insane. Between 1999 and 2018. Is, is there like an undercurrent there? I'm letting you finish the story. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, I'll let we'll, you finish. We'll, we'll hold that thought. <laughs> All right. 
Um, now, if you want to kind of solidify and push the point a little bit further, between 2015 and 2018 alone, there were 45 lake-related deaths. Uh, this data was collected from the Georgia Department of Natural Resources. Uh, and though if you do the averages where it's like 10 to 15 people a year, that may not seem like a whole hell of a lot. Uh, but so this lake and the lake next to it, which has a similar size. Uh, so here's the difference. Uh, first off, I'm going to go ahead and tell you what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Lake Lanier in Georgia. Uh, the lake next to it of similar size that has a similar amount of people that go to this lake every year uh, is Lake Altoona. Uh, lake Altoona in that same time period between 2015 and 2018 had 16 lake-related deaths, which is roughly a third. It's a lot. Uh, during that same span, the second closest lake to Lake Lanier, as far as death count goes, is Lake Oconee, or Oconee, O-C-O-N-E-E, -E, uh, with 19, so less than half. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, now, statistically, from 2011 to 2015, as far as drownings go, of... There are, so, all right, let me pause, bring it back a little bit. Uh, the DNR statistics track down all known injuries and deaths that occur between eight key lakes in Georgia. Altoona, Blackshear, Clarks Hill, Hartwell, Jackson, Lanier, Oconee, and Sinclair. Uh, each year, Lanier is credited with a substantial percentage of these accidents. From 2011 to 2015, there were a total of 65 drownings in the state, in these eight lakes. Yeah. 32 of those were in Lake Lanier. That is 49.2%. Jesus. Oh, wait. <laughs> uh, boating fatalities. 20 of the 33 were in Lake Lanier. That's 60%. You're literally taking your life in your own hands when you go on that lake. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, anyway, um, yeah, so as far as it goes, uh, what I can tell you, though, is that I've looked up articles since then. Uh, in between 2019 and 2023, there were a total of 33 drownings and 48 deaths. Uh, uh, 33 out of 48. So 33 of the deaths were drowning out of the 48, which the other 15... Whatever, yeah. You're yeah. assuming were boating accidents. What you're telling me here is that this lake is fucking cursed. Don't swim in it, right? That's for sure. Sounds like or a for sure thing. Or go boat. Um, Want to go drinking on the lake? Yep. May die, may get a hangover. <laughs> <laughs> uh... So, Lake Lanier is more than 38,000 acres of water, which is about 690 miles of shoreline. That's pretty good, yeah. That's a big um, Now, let me tell you the story about Lake Lanier, uh, where it came from, how it got started. It was not always there. It is a man-made lake. Uh, mm. Okay. So, what I can tell you is... <clears throat> 
in the 1800s. eighteen hundreds is kind of when the whole puzzle of Lake Lanier started. Uh, the Chattahoochee River was once a separating line between two large indigenous nations, uh, the Muscogee and the Cherokee. Uh, both flourished um, but to skip over the indigenous history for the most part, right. um, uh, what's important is in 1838, uh, the U.S. government forcibly removed the Cherokee Nation from their homeland in Georgia. Uh, Lake Lanier was basically what you would consider one of the main points on the Trail of Tears. Okay. Um, before it was a lake. Before it was a lake. Yeah. It was not a lake at this time. Uh just, a, just as a quick point of reference, Lake Lanier was created in 1956. Yeah. So everything that I'm telling you right now and sense. for the next little ways is before it was even a lake. Yeah, okay. Um, there were burial mounds in this area. Oh, that just made it creepy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, it gets worse. <laughs> um, so... Let's skip ahead, uh, because a very important part of this uh, happens in 1912. Good year. Um, so, in 1912, two separate incidents occurred a week apart, uh, involving two white women. Uh, Ellen Grice, uh, so... There's kind of two stories. There's the uh, fake news story. Yeah. And, and there's the more locally known story. Uh, Ellen Grice uh, had claimed that she had woken up to a black man in her bed and she was being assaulted. Mm-hmm. Alternatively, the more localized folklorist story. I don't want to call it folklore. It, 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 no, I got what you're calling Because folklore would imply there's some kind of fakeness to it. Mm. Uh, the more localized story is that she got caught with a black man in her bed. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. In that time, yeah. In that time, uh, in 1912 in Georgia. Yeah, you don't do that. Uh, no. What does a white woman do? They claim something yeah. else. Yes. Even though the dude probably did nothing. Literally. Um, and not a week apart, uh, May Crow was found beaten and assaulted in the woods. Uh, so some white civilians took justice into their own hands. Um, so the story that I heard and read is... Uh, the men that were arrested in the uh, May Crow situation, uh, and to be fair, she she lived. She just was brain dead after that. Um, she okay. was beaten. Yeah. Badly. Make a Not movie of that. Good. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. not sure. Uh, but the moral of the story is so she lived. But so they found 
some people of color in the area that they thought may have been responsible. And who later supposedly admitted to doing it. Um, the problem with their admission to doing it is we all know how the law works mm-hmm. in a white town. Or it doesn't. In 1912. Exactly. Uh, so when he admitted doing it, uh, it was a false flag hanging. Which basically means yeah. they put a noose around his neck and said, either you admit to doing this or yeah. we're going to hang you. Well, sh- hang me. And as soon as, he, <laughs> as soon as he says, okay, fine, they're going to hang him anyway. So. Yeah, my life is forfeit anyway, so hang me. Yeah. So he admitted doing this. Don't tease me. He implied actually his brother-in-law in this and another person that was with him. Uh, they were pulled from the county jail by an angry mob they were hung by a telephone pole and they shot their bodies for the remainder of the day that's fucked up bad wow alright now uh, this was in a place that was back then a thriving black farming community uh, called Oscarville Um, there were quite a few people in there and it seems like Osterville was one of those places that uh, like I said when like slavery came to an end it just seems like one of those places where okay this is where we're going to settle we can't go far we don't right, have right, much right. Like, and it was just a nice little farming community there were like probably 15 businesses uh, different things shops this and that but most of it was just farmland and they seem to be doing very well um, so, after all of this happened in 1912, uh, there is a group of people that, um, I would probably consider them, like, um, the KKK on steroids. They were considered, like, the White Knights or something like that. Oh, okay, I know It was, like, the White it, Knights yeah, yeah. or the Black Knights or something like that. I know what you're talking about. Um... So, basically what they did is they came through the town, and after that, they said enough is enough, because, to be fair, in Oscarville, there were some white people that founded the town, the blacks moved in, there weren't really, there wasn't really a big, like, hatred or anything going on, but supposedly this happened, and that happened, and then all the fires were set for the raging conflagration, Dumb people take, yeah, too Um, much, yeah. So, what had happened was, uh, these white knights came through... Uh, they started burning businesses and houses down, and they forced uh, the African Americans out. They were like, "Either we'll give you a little bit of money and you fucking leave, or we'll kill you, or we're literally just gonna burn your shit down and we'll kill you." Which, to be fair, most of them moved their stuff and left. I can't blame them. Not at all. Can't blame them at all. Wait, um, did you say they paid them? Or just told them to move? Um, okay, so it goes both ways. And give it a second, because I'll get into it. Okay. They, yeah. they did very minusculely. Right? Yeah. It, it's no. very much like the a... The why I asked that is because I had that thought in my head, like, oh, take the money and run. Either, <laughs> either hey, we'll give you a dollar for your 100 acres, right, right. or we'll just kill you and take it. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I guess. so like, uh, paid is a... Loose term. A loose <laughs> term there. Um, so either way... So, what had happened was, that went down. Um, The African-Americans moved out. 
Um, and then somewhere around, uh, somewhere in the 50s, I don't really recall and I couldn't really find what had happened. Uh, okay, no, I take that back. I do remember what happened now. Um, so, when the African Americans left and left their farms, the whites took it over. Um, and then they had a, I think they said it was botfly infestation. Oh, that's the crazy. farms went down the shit tubes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They were no longer successful whatsoever. Huh. Then in 1956, uh, America, uh, the uh, U.S. Guard was looking for a way, a water resource, uh, both for hydroelectric power and uh, basically like a reservoir to power Atlanta. Okay. They dammed up the Chattahoochee River. This is what created Lake Lanier in like 1956. Oh. And it took a couple of years for it to fill up after they dammed the river. Right. Uh, so here's the trick to that though. Is there were businesses, there were homes, and there were probably somewhere in the neighborhood of a thousand cemeteries. And if you think about the South back in right. those days, not even all cemeteries were marked. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so. No, there's a lot of secret burials that happen. Yeah. So either way, so what the U.S. Guard is, they did go around, and for the most part, they attempted to uh, take care of things, uh, okay. move cemeteries, do this and that, um, remove businesses. But as you can imagine, with most military, the uh, Army Corps in particular was the one in charge of this event. Right. Um, they cut some corners. Um, and even cutting corners is a strong term. There are some cemeteries they probably just didn't find. Uh, there are some families that refuse to give permission to move their dead. Okay. Um, and there are some buildings that didn't get torn down. So there literally could be an entire city underneath this lake. Yeah. Uh, there are literally graveyards under this lake, and yeah. there are remains of buildings under this lake. Huh. That's cool. Cool but freaky and shitty. Yeah. Uh, the problem with this lake is because it is dam-fed and fed through the river, um, it is a very dark lake. It's not one of those crystal clear lakes that you can just... Right, you know, right, right. It, you don't look at it from the top and you're like, this is a blue, crystal clear lake. No, it's a south um, lake. <laughs> as soon as you enter the water, I mean, it's one of those... You can't see I, I don't know how you were when you were a kid, but when I was a kid and I would swim under the water, like there were a lot of times where I'd open my eyes. Yeah. Just what kids yeah, do. come out with red eye syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's fun. Yeah. But uh, this is one of those ones where... So I have watched videos of divers that have gone diving in that lake. Yeah, it's pitch black. You can't see anything. Um... With their spotlight flashlights, you could probably see somewhere in the neighborhood of, and let me kind of phrase this correctly, you could see the beam for somewhere between 7 and 10 feet. Like yeah. Anything outside of that small cylindrical beam, you just couldn't see. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, also, if you look through Georgia in that neck of the woods, uh, there's a lot of forests and mm -hmm. trees. And guess what did not get uprooted? No forests, no trees. So you have a lake that has a burial mound. It has buildings. 
inside of this lake. You have cemeteries inside of this lake and forests inside of this lake. And to be fair, uh, to the Army Corps at the point that was creating this lake, it was never designed for swimming. Oh, yeah, it, it, it was not like supposed to be a source, recreational yeah. lake. It's a power source and a reservoir for drinking water and shit to be cleaned down the way a little that's, bit. Oh, I was about to say, that's even worse because now there's all that stuff in drinking water. Right. Um, but yeah, so the point is... We bought a plate. How do we get that? <laughs> the point is, it was never designed to be swam in or anything like that. Um, so... That just goes back to the human aspect. We'd never actually use something we designed it for. So. Exactly. And I don't, I don't know if you guys, so me driving around a lot for my jobs. One thing that I've noticed a lot, especially here recently, is um, how far down water levels are in a lot of lakes. Yeah. Like there are lakes that I'll drive over, you know, on my way to go do a stop and like... Literally, the whole ass dock that boats used to be docked at is sitting on dry ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like it's it's down down. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know if it's a climate thing, whatever you want to call it. But so like water levels are down. So they have seen now. Uh, so back to the uh, Native Americans, the Cherokee. Okay. Um, there's an island in the lake now. That is the burial mound that is now uncovered. That's fucked up. Ew. (laughs) (laughs) And to be fair to them, like, when it comes to, like, sacrilege shit, like, do you... You don't ask the Indians to move their dead. Do you dig up a burial mound or you just fill it in with water? Like, none of of those are a good option, right? You're like, I mean, we're going to do this anyway, but, like, I feel like digging it up's worse. So, what do we do? Cover it. (laughs) Right. Yeah, cover it up. It's fine. Put some dirt on it. (laughs) Um, So, uh, one thing that I can say is, so, what haunts the lake? Right? Everything. What doesn't? <laughs> yeah. To start with, what doesn't? Uh, but uh, one story that is a famous recurring story at the lake uh, was that in 1958, uh, Delia Young and her friend Susie Roberts, uh, they were going to hit the town. Right? They were a little bit broke, but they wanted to go out and they wanted to have a good time and they wanted to hit the town. Um, they stopped at a gas station, they filled up their tank, they sped off. They didn't pay for their gas. They were going across the bridge that crossed Lake Lanier. Okay. They lost control of their vehicle. Um, neither was found initially. Um. Till later on. 18 months later... A, uh, a fisherman found remains of a woman in a blue dress that matched the description of one of these ladies. Oh, man, I don't even think about that. Um, Water long. Yeah. Missing both hands and some toes. Uh, it's a lake. There's catfish in this lake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were probably being eaten on. Yeah. Whatnot. 
I um, mean, if you if you want to get all scientific and technical about it, it's it's like the nastiest thing in the world. Our our bodies are not meant to um, be. No, and water. this and so even yeah. eighteen months later, it was yeah. very much in an advanced state state of decomposition. Well, and I mean, bloated. To be like, honest, after yeah. after the first, you know, after the first probably two three days, uh, the outer layer of skin would start to slough off, and yeah. like it's it's really not. Don't eat while listening to this episode. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, so here's where it gets worse. Uh, Susie was the one that was supposedly wearing the blue dress the night of the accident. Um, and multiple people have seen a woman in a blue dress that was pacing around the area. All right. And then they say what's worse is sometimes that you'll see the woman in the blue dress and she'll disappear and then she'll reappear closer and closer to the water. Oh, that's sad. Um, the supposed folklore slash myth slash crybaby bridge urban legend of it is that she's trying to lead people to the water. Interesting. Lady of the Lake. Uh, so Susie was the one that was wearing the blue dress and for a long time uh, they had thought that perhaps uh, the remains that were found of the first girl uh, was Susie Uh, that was until 31 years later um, the bridge was actually due for uh, repurposing let's Mm -hmm. you know do the audit on the bridge make sure everything's safe blah 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 secure Uh, so they dredged that part of the lake Mm. so that they could make sure that the posts and everything were clear so they could go down and do their work and figure everything out and clean it up and make sure everything was safe Uh, 31 years later they found her car and she was still in it oh wow hmm so who the heck did they find? Who was the body in, with the blue dress? Uh, so the person they originally found, that the fisherman found, uh, was apparently Delia Young, who was her friend who actually loaned yeah, her the yeah. blue dress. Oh, wow. Um, so they got into an accident, a car accident. Yeah. Now... Wait. Go ahead. Continue. Go ahead. No, no, no. It's, go ahead. Now, the creepy urban, urban legend is that uh, Susie, wearing the blue dress, tries to drag you to your death in the lake, right? Um, I should also make mention that, so between, I'm going to give you the total numbers now. So between 1956, when the lake was created, and now, there have been over 700 deaths at that lake. That's insane. I mean, I'm actually surprised it's that little. Uh, between, what was it 1994 and now? Uh, where was that? I just want to make sure that I'm getting the numbers right. Do-do-do. Yeah. 200 of those deaths have occurred since 1994, uh, and at least 27 of those people have never been found. That's insane. Uh, Yeah. Divers have gone into that lake and said that 
you'll be swimming and just feeling around and limbs, arms, Dude. legs, people. Uh, and to be fair, these are only people that are known about, okay? Like, if, if there's a missing persons case that's an hour away, right. like, nobody knows to even attach the lake to it. Like, of people known about that were at the lake and had witnesses to their accounts, there have been 700 deaths. That's insane. Yeah, I'm looking at, I'm looking at the lake right now, and it's, it's, yeah, it's a big old lake, but you're right, it's very brown, brown-like. Like you can't, you're not gonna see shit in there. It is very brown. Yeah, but yeah. So I mean, there's that. Um, so the other only, the only other like repeated haunting, and it, I feel like I've seen this in a lot of haunted lakes. Is uh, there's a guy in a rowboat with a lantern. Interesting. Uh, that and, seems to be a typical of a lake. And, and when yeah. you see him and go towards him, he disappears. Interesting. Uh, but a lot of people that have survived quote-unquote drownings or near drownings, if you would call them that, um, have said they felt like somebody have grabbed onto them. Oh, yeah. I don't doubt that one bit. I agree. Not one bit. And why the fuck would you swim in that lake? Yeah, don't. Just don't. why would you? Because, well, here's the idiots. interesting part, right? Um, of everything that I've read... The most important part that I've read is the locals don't. Well, the locals the, don't go to that fucking lake. Smart, They're like, nope, we're out. <laughs> yeah. That's SMRT smart. Yeah. No, because right? I, I literally just saw the uh, the island, the burial ground that's now above water. Yeah, I literally just saw a picture of that. And now they're getting some aerial shots of the town beneath it because the water level is dipping down. They're getting, yeah. Yeah, so they still have, like, walls. Yeah. Where the buildings didn't get all the way demolished. Yeah. And to be fair, all of that stuff's supposed to be taken out. Uh, And here's the thing. So a lot of that stuff can account for a lot of the, like, boating accidents, okay? Right. I'll say this. Um, So as an example... Uh, I have been to, here in Ohio, we have a reservoir. It's uh, Lake Ledoux, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all right? I've been up there fishing with my dad, all right? 16-foot aluminum boat, 25-horse motor on it. We are skipping across the lake. Uh, this is what happens when there are trees under the water, okay? Uh, so the reservists, or the core, whatever you want to call it, takes care of this stuff. Uh, they will cut off the trees right under the water to make it look like they did their job. Yeah, yeah. Um, we were skipping along <clears throat> that lake uh, as fast as our little 16-foot boat could go with our 25-horse motor. Uh, we literally hit a tree. Mm-hmm. It is the yeah. only time in my life I have ever ended up in a lake because I was sitting in the front of the boat. Right. Um, and <laughs> literally, the tree caught the boat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, boat stops... I kept going. <laughs> yeah. Because that's just what happens. That's how it works. And then what's even harder is getting your boat off of a tree. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because so, you got nothing to put. You got no so. leverage. <laughs> There's no leverage, right? <laughs> so, I mean, when you're talking about you know this lake that has a forest under it, it's got buildings <laughs> under it, it's got cemeteries under it, right. it's got everything. And on top of this, this will really kick your trigger, Joe. It also sits on a ley line. Oh, oh. my God. <laughs> oh, 
my god. That just, just actually irritated the living fuck out of me. My my lovely Georgia friends just don't go there. Just don't. Why? Not only that, but the, 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 the energy from the ley line is feeding in all of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, to be fair though uh, if you actually look into it and it is something that I have looked into since I read that only because I thought it was irony and I kind of matched it to uh, Indigo Lake up here um, many Native American burial grounds were built on ley lines mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah that's so it's it's a common theme that is true, that's true. Well, that is but true. yeah uh, so they have gone through and they have looked back at maps of the Trail of Tears and it is they have reason to believe that it's not just folklore like the Trail of Tears literally went right through the middle of this lake um, the lake sits on a ley line there's dead bodies under there that's really that, that's awful <laughs> that's just awful <laughs> there's no reason in the world that this lake should not be haunted and apparently it is deemed America's most haunted lake yeah, so I mean, honest to goodness, disclaimer here for all of our paranormal friends who are in or near Georgia or just feel like they might want to visit this this beautiful place for some reason, please, for the love of God, do not go to Lake Lanier. I wouldn't even say that. I would just say would. exercise some extreme caution because I would go there in a heartbeat. I uh, my biggest would. complication being the tech wizard is how the fuck do you get evidence in a lake? From a lake, you don't. <laughs> How do you cover a lake? (laughs) Do we rent a boat and do some investigations from one of these islands that have a lake? Do we... (laughs) How do you cover a lake? This is a tech nightmare, but let's do it. I I know I always say at the end of the podcast when Alex says, don't fuck with Bobby Yaga, I'm like, fuck it, lick it. I am not a person... That will mess with certain things. Yeah, and an Indian burial ground is not I one feel like of those things just, I would mess with. That's just too much, right? Yeah. You're literally asking for trouble when yeah. you do that. Yeah, like it's our, <laughs> it, it's bad enough that you've got the graveyards, you've got the town that was just flooded over, you've got the buildings, you've got the mm-hmm. forest, you've got bodies under there, you've got a ley line. Uh, Send that to me. Yeah, that's just the yeah. the icing on the cake. Right? Yeah. <laughs> You're like, and fuck it. You know what? Let's put an Indian burial ground here too. Yeah, I, there's too much. There's too much going on there. That that is, that's not a haunting. That is a fucking Stephen King movie. I mean, they did make a movie out about it. It's literally called Lake Lanier. Uh, also, <laughs> I was I, unaware of that. Yeah. <laughs> also, I should note that the lake was named after a writer, poet, and musician. Uh, and Confederate Army wife veteran uh, Sydney Lanier. Nice. <laughs> I'm I'm giggling because have has anybody ever named something after after someone and be like, no, I don't want that named after me. Right. Like, don't don't do that. <laughs> uh, so I think it was late named yeah, after yeah, her. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, she didn't really have a choice in the matter. Yeah, you but, don't want really to uh, get named for things. But yeah, for lie. sure. I think she probably maybe she's one of the graves at the bottom of the lake. That's maybe. probably ill taste to say that, but. She's probably rolling over and grabbing people's ankles. I, I I don't I don't like it. I don't want to go there. I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. Yeah. But uh, Georgia and Lake Lanier, you for sure did not disappoint. Like I, I read a lot that's, on this shit. That's some yeah, yeah. shit right there. I mean, it's just the main fact that I don't like water, anyways. I don't like the water that I that I I love water. And that is literally like my worst fear is going swimming and someone grabbing my ankle. That I like that's that's and my irrational are good fear. In Lake Lanier, that's what's gonna happen. Yeah. Or is it is it a ghost or a 
fucking body. That's the problem. Well, <laughs> ghost, it, ghost. yeah. It, well, is it a ghost or is it one of those trees where the leg just gets trapped right. or something and, and they get dragged stuck. down and can't get back up? Yeah. You know, there, like, there's no. multiple things that this thing could be. It's That's a, true too. Yeah. And you have to imagine that people oh, go yeah. fishing there. Right. So those trees, probably a lot of them. You know, yeah. If you've ever gone fishing, you snag on things. So then you've got fishing line that's oh, strapped around on there. You've got the nets that are tracked around there. Yeah, no, all yeah. of it is bad. Bad news. No, bad I, news. I've snagged my line on nets that were not, or a tree that wasn't even in the water. So yeah. I also <laughs> done that. I like to fish. I'm just not all that good at it. Yeah, yeah. So, oh, that's that's cool though. That's frightening. That's frightening. And it's freaky. Cool. It's amazing. It's. What have nightmares tonight because happening. of that? I ain't going there. Nope. Good to go. So congratulations. That's the world of Lake Lanier. And we are now at 52 minutes. So carry on, wife. <laughs> yeah, no, 100%. Told you it was a thick suit. No, I'm, I'm fine with that. So, um, yeah, wow. Wow. That's a, that's a hard one to follow. Uh, but you will. I'm going to. I'm going to follow it. I just don't know if I can do, do justice. You can. I've been there. Oh, I know, I know. So, I am actually going to be talking about um, an absolutely beautiful place down in, uh, it's actually in the northern part of Georgia in a uh, very pretty little community called um, Somerville. Uh, Somerville, Georgia. Yeah, it's a beautiful place. Is um, the home to Corpsewood Manor. Mm. Um aptly named, and believe it or not, it was actually named by its owner. So it wasn't like, you know, some weird After Effects spooky name. Um, I am covering this for, there There are actually three separate websites um, that have put together way more information than you could ever want. So I have decided to go ahead and, and follow some of those. Uh, one of them is uh, pickenspast.com. Uh, the other one is Mother Earth News. Um, theirs is called A Castle in the Country. Um, and then I have covered from um, a very, very dear friend of ours who also was our paranormal mentor, uh, Ken Summers, is also um, a paranormal author. Um, and his website is uh, moonspenders.com. And you can find uh, an entire uh, chapter, actually, about Corpsewood Manor in uh, one of his books as well. Oh, so, that's cool. Yeah. Um, so, let's get started. Corpsewood Manor, the tragic tale of Dr. Charles Scudder and jo- Joseph Oden began in Chicago in the 1960s. Dr. Scudder was a pharmacologist (laughs) (laughs) that was a big one at Loyola University. Uh, Charles and Joseph met shortly after Charles' arrival in Chicago in 1960. When they met, he was living in a mansion on Chicago's west side with his wife. Joseph became the housekeeper. Not long after his kids were grown, Charles and his wife divorced. Joseph and Charles became romantically involved, and Charles became increasingly disillusioned by uh, the urban and intellectual decay that he saw at college and in his neighborhood. Charles decided to live his dream life with his partner, so he resigned from the university on his 50th birthday in 1976 
and purchased 40 acres at Taylor's Ridge in Chattanooga County, Georgia. In 1981, Dr. Scudder wrote the following, why he decided to live in isolation in the April-May edition of Mother Earth News, which is right. the other website that I'm going to be talking about, uh, Castle in the Country. Yeah. Um, he says, after, and these are, these are words directly from Dr. Scudder, uh, after some soul-searching conversations with Joe, I decided that we really needed to find some place in hilly country with the glamour of four seasons, but without super cold winters, with a good supply of pure water and wood for heating and cooking, and most important, with a measure of isolation. After years of enduring the sensory overload of the city life, I desperately want to be, in a, be situated where I could neither see nor hear my neighbors. And said every guy from his 30s up. Exactly. <laughs> and true to his ambitions, he accomplished just that. In two years, he and Joe had erected 45,000 bricks to build their manor in the woods. Damn. They also built a brick gazebo, a three-story chicken coop, a chemical outhouse, a brick house for a 160-foot deep well, a lake, an orchard, and a garden. And they decided to live off the grid before it became fashionable. Kudos. <laughs> Charles had non-mainstream views about religion, sexuality, and life in general. Uh, a lot of this was expressed in his architecture and design plans, as well as in his lifestyle cho choices. Above the brick gazebo, he placed a giant pink gargoyle. Uh, it came from his previous property, where it once was also a water fountain. There was a connecting drawbridge that spanned the gulf between the house and the gazebo. They would frequently have tea there while taking pictures of their surroundings. He owned books on the occult, a black and gold statue of uh, Mephistopheles, which is a demon from German folklore, um, a couple of human skulls, a stained glass work of Bapomet and Medusa. Each of the four chimneys of the manor were decorated with a pentacle. It should be noted that Charles was a member of the Church of Satan. And that the Church of Satan are not devil worshippers. They are atheists, not Satanists. There is a difference. His personal art reflected a dark side, too. Flanking each side of the entrance to the second floor were two paintings, one of a baby coming out of the womb and another of a skeleton baby. Perhaps his most disturbing piece of art was a self-portrait of him bound and bleeding with a series of bullet wounds in his head. I'm starting to see the red flags here. Mm. <laughs> right? <laughs> now, here's the fucked up part. That painting, he made it just maybe a month and a half, two months before he was murdered. And that is exactly how he was murdered. I'm wondering if somebody, and I'm not making light of this, this is actually what I think. I wonder if somebody misinterpreted a safe word. No. <laughs> and I'm being dead serious. Like, it, 
Cause it almost sounds like life imitating art or the other way around. Sure. So, so let's continue. There's okay. so much more to this. Okay. On the third floor of the chicken coop was what they called the pink room. The first and second floors were for chickens and storage. The pink room was decorated with a mattress, pink walls, whips, chains, and more. It was known as the pleasure room where Charles would, quote unquote, entertain guests and share homemade wines from the grapevines and smoke pot before engaging in sexual escapades. <laughs> Sounds like a good time. I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> so, this goes on and on. And I want to skip, actually, to a the secondary article, uh, MotherEarthNews.com. <laughs> I can talk, I swear. And this one starts off pretty awesome, actually. So this is actually a an interview with Dr. Scudder himself. Uh, people often fantasize about trying out <coughs> different lifestyles, but few actually change the way they live. Social commitments, habit systems, and inertia stop most dreamers cold. They just don't know that all it takes to realize a fantasy is a small amount of money, a bit of luck, and a whole lot of courage. I was old. All three things I don't have. <laughs> well, courage. <laughs> I was old when I came into a modest inheritance, which amounted to a monthly income around $100. I was pretty much alone, too, with my wife gone and all of my children grown up. Furthermore, my house was no castle in the country. I lived in an old mansion in a decaying residential area that was more like a mausoleum, a tomb requiring care, cleaning, and endless costly repairs. I was plagued with taxes, light bills, gas bills, water bills, heating bills, and the helpless feeling that resulted from watching my old neighborhood disintegrate into an urban ghetto. Mind you, these are words straight from Dr. Yeah, yeah. There were other factors prodding me towards a life-changing decision, too. I had a good job as an associate professor in a medical school, so I received a salary raise each year. But, of course, it was always uh, more than swallowed up by inflation. And as time passed, the medical students grew more unruly and less interested in learning. The standards of the school steadily dropped, and my department became a hotbed of office politics, backbiting, and resentment. As soon as I got home each evening, I changed into my old jeans and muddle about in the garden, finding there the only real moments of satisfaction left in my urban life. I feel that. In such a melancholy environment, it was no wonder that I was suffering uh, from continual hankering, vexation, and apathy. And then I inherited my little income, and I thought, I want out. Oh man, do I ever want out. The only person I really had to consider before making my move was my loyal friend and housekeeper, Joe, who for 17 years had cooked for me and my boys and cared for the mansion. He'd been in trouble with the law once and had only a fifth grade education, but he learned far more, more in the world than I had with all my degrees, and somewhere along the line he developed a talent for whipping up meals fit for a king. It seemed out of the question. For me to ask Joe to move to a pretty ticky-tacky house in the suburbs because he seemed to have an inherent dislike for anything modern. 
My companion also insisted on using iron skillets and old iron stone platters in the kitchen, confessing once that he'd always wanted to cook on a wood stove. Furthermore, I knew I could never live in an apartment, a type of dwelling which I would consider only slightly better than a prison. So I wondered, (laughs) where shall we go? What shall we do? And with my little inheritance, providing the necessary impetus for change, I made up my mind. Why not make a clean break now, I concluded. Why not get back to basics and be poor? After some soul-searching conversations with Joe, I decided what we really needed to find a place in hilly country, with the glamour of four seasons, but without super cold winters, which I know we already heard this part. Um, But without super cold winters, a good supply of pure water and wood for heating and cooking, and most importantly, with a measure of isolation. I studied geological survey maps of southern states and wrote to the presidents of local realty boards. One such person answered that they had 40 inexpensive acres of hardwood trees in the Appalachian foothills, some completely surrounded by national forest land. I figured that the cash from the sale of my city property, plus my retirement fund and the money in escrow, would allow me to make such a move. So I drove down to Georgia to take a look. There I found hummingbirds, whippoorwills, butterflies, bobcats, great oaks, fungi, and rolling mountain woodlands. I was hooked. While still lecturing, I bought the land, had a well dug, planned my house, and bought a little camper and a Jeep. In 1976, on my 50th birthday, I resigned from the school, auctioned off all of my furniture and possessions that I didn't care about, gave away all my electrical appliances, sold my property, and arranged for a moving company to take charge of the things I wanted to keep. Then Joe and myself, plus our two Mastiffs, left for our new kingdom. Cutting ties they have taken a lifetime to to form is a draining experience, and throwing away professional security and all its supposed conveniences and luxuries is like losing a piece of oneself. But for me, the change was like crawling out of an old worn-out skin. Um, This goes on for quite a while longer. Yeah, it sounds like he's got a a gift for the expensive vocabulary. For sure. He's a very well-studied man. So... We go on with that, and then I'm going to skip over to the moonspenders.com website, um, where a lot of this is is recounted, um, but then we get down to what happened. So, (coughs) in the winter of 1982, everything changed. What follows is a detailed chain of events pieced together throughout meticulous research into newspaper articles and testimonies of the time, telling the unraveling of what happened at Corpsewood Manor. And I would like to uh, specifically thank Ken Summers for all of the research and dedication he put into this one. Um, It's fantastic. In November of 1982, Kenneth Avery Brock, moved into the Halls Valley trailer of a 30-year unemployed construction worker by the name of Samuel Tony West. The 17-year-old part-time truck driver told West the tale of the queer devil worshippers <laughs> living in the isolated country. Brock first met the couple while hunting deer on their property. 
He befriended them and spent many occasions drinking their homemade wine. Their relationship soon escalated. Brock may have become intimately involved with the men on numerous occasions. Others speculate that he attempted to initiate a threesome with the couple, but was denied. Cutter and Odom's relaxed demeanor and effortless existence gave Brock the false impression that Scudder and Odom uh, stockpiled an immense fortune. The vivid mind of 17-year-old Brock convinced Tony West that they could become wealthy beyond their wildest dreams. In a small town where rumors and gossip became gospel, Brock and West fell under the spell, blinded by greed. Disillusioned by their downtrodden lives, the duo hatched a plot to rob the couple of their fortune and run away, free to live their lives as they had always dreamed. After hatching a burglary plan with West, Brock's visit took on new meaning. In November of 1982, he visited the Castle in the Woods several times in an attempt to study the layout of the house. Unfortunately, his sexual encounters with Scudder and Odom were limited to the pink room, and he was never granted entry into Corpsewood Manor. On the evening of December 12, 1982, the plan was set into motion. Brock made a stop at his mother's trailer to pick up a 22 caliber Remington automatic rifle he told her was going to be used for rabbit hunting. The duo stopped to visit Joey Wells and offered to take him and his date that night, Teresa Hudgens. Hmm. The duo, oh wait, 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 out joyriding. West and Brock suggested a visit to Corpsewood to drink some of their wine. While Joey was thrilled with the note, of free alcohol, Teresa was hesitant to meet the devil worshippers. Convinced by the others that it would be fun, she finally relented. The four individuals slowly traveled through the hilly roads of Taylor Ridge, puffing a combination of paint thinner, alcohol, and glue called Tudaloo. Okay. Teresa peered down at the rifle tucked between the front seats. Uh, Charles greeted his unannounced visitors and bummed a cigarette for Odom, who was in the kitchen cleaning up after supper. Their visitors climbed the 40-foot ladder to the pink room, accompanied by Scudder. Wine was passed, and the gathering became merry. Shortly thereafter, Brock stepped out to his car to get more toodaloo. He reappeared with his rifle minutes later, returning to his seat on the mattress. Charles Scudder stifled a giggle. Bang, bang, he uttered amused in his mild intoxication. When Scudder stood to adjust a lantern, Brock leapt into action. He grabbed the former professor by the hair, slid a knife out from his military boot, and pressed it against Scudder's throat. Brock demanded money and tossed the professor onto the mattress. He cut strips of pin cloth from the sheets and bound Scudder in his heavy coat. West and Hudgens were terrified and ran to the car, but the engine refused to start. As they headed back to the pink room, they could hear Brock's desperate, angry demands. West stood up and handed Brock the rifle. Odom was interrupted in the kitchen by Brock ordering him out of the house. He looked up toward the doorway as Brock fired four rounds into Odom. Several more finished off the Mastiffs, which never moved from their comfortable spots beside the wood stove. Brock returned to the pink room and led Scudder back to the house. The professor was ushered into the house where the gruesome scene met his eyes. As he stood over the bodies of his deceased lover and his beloved mastiffs, a muffled moan escaped from beneath his gag. He knew the end was near. 
Brock led him into the library, pulled down the pink gag in Scudder's mouth, and sat him in a chair. Charles stood one final time and shuffled in his bound feet towards Odom's body. Wes demanded that he stop. As he continued his slow movement, intently gazed on Odom's corpse, Charles Scudder uttered his final words, I asked for this. West shot Scudder in the face at close range. Falling to his knees, Charles attempted to stand and to speak and stand. West fired again, sending the professor reeling backwards into the bookcase. Scudder gurgled out unintelligible sounds as West fired three more shots into Scudder's head. West and Brock ransacked the house searching for a hidden fortune. They left with only a handful of dimes and nickels, bits of jewelry, silver candelabras, and a gold-plated dagger. The gold harp was too large for them to take with them. Less than two hours after arriving, the visitors left, splitting up between West's red 1970 AMC Javelin and Scudder's black uh, CJ5 Jeep with white pinnacles painted on the door. Raymond Williams visited Corpsewood two days later to notify the couple of a passing of a friend in Rome, Georgia. He noticed bullet holes in the green kitchen door and called the police. West and Brock had fled, uh, but each was apprehended without incident. During West's confession to Chattanooga County Sheriff's Tony Gilliland, the suspect stated, All I can say is there were devils and I killed them. That's how I feel about it. While in jail, Brock attempted suicide. At trial, he was found guilty on all accounts and sentenced to three consecutive life terms. He is currently serving his sentence in Georgia State Prison. Samuel West was convicted of double homicide and sentenced to die in the electric chair. The death sentence was repealed and he is currently serving out his life sentence in Augusta State Medical Prison. There is a small private funeral ceremony held at Corpsewood. Odom's ashes were scattered in the rose garden that he loved so much, and Scudder's body was sent home to Milwaukee at the request of his sister. So now let's talk about the hauntings. <coughs> and I'm going to be as respectful as I possibly can, because this story... This story sucks. It's touchy. It, it yeah. is touchy. It's this is a horrible, horrible story of just, just awful. So, we arrived at Corpsewood probably about two hours before sunset. Um, we had stopped at a little gas station that was just up the road. Kind of got our bearings, figured out where the heck we were, drove down, found the road and went on down uh, this, this, I guess you would call it a driveway. Yeah, private road is a, what a Amazon private. drivers would call it. There you, you go, you. there you go. Uh, no, that's called I'm not walking that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This, yeah, and I'm not walking that driveway. <laughs> this, this road that went down to said, yeah, it was... Gosh, a mile and a half long or so? I'd say somewhere in the neighborhood of a mile. Probably not a mile and a half. Because there's some of that group that wouldn't have made it a mile and a half. But I'd say about a mile. Probably. Oh, that one. Okay. There you go. Okay. So, we walk the roughly mile down this private driveway. 
and it's nothing but woods woods on both sides and, and there's even woods overgrown in this driveway so you can tell that it, it was a driveway um, uh yeah it looked more like a uh more like a game trail yeah yeah a, a, a large a large game trail basically is is what we were walking down but it, it did at one point it was in fact the driveway um so we get down to the end of this and we start to see uh, just little little pieces at first kind of peeking through the, the crazy overgrown uh, forest, bushes, whatever is growing out in the woods. And what comes into view is part of what I believe was the rear wall to uh, the mansion while it was there. Yeah. There was part of what would have been um, the chicken coop and part of what would have been the uh, chemical bathhouse. So the, the, the outhouse, basically. Right. And that was about it. You could still see... Yeah, um, most of it had been demoed by then. There was like... And even the main house part that we saw, there was like one wall and... One partial and wall. Like, and kind then of like some, a little turret thing that's yeah, like the tower yeah. that's and, kind of attached just, to it. Just a little bit of foundation around the rest, but for the most part, it was um, knocked down, knocked over, stolen. I, I don't know. A lot of it. A lot of it wasn't really there anymore. Um, you could see where the lake was, um, but it was dry. It was just a dry lake bed at this point. It was. It didn't even look like it was ever very deep. Um, with this huge massive massive boulder uh that sort of sat there almost like you know you could just like sit up on it and watch out over the lake it was actually gorgeous and the entire area was so incredibly peaceful and beautiful but there was definitely a feeling that you weren't the only people out there that somebody else was out there and the sun started setting and eventually it got uh, dusk and then a little past dusk and and we were seeing locals um, not super far from where we were they were maybe a quarter mile half mile through the woods it's they, hard to tell too it's just so just like any southern country road like the way that like the gravel roads back there like weave in and out of the forest and it's yeah, like you, it, we saw a lot of headlights. I couldn't really tell you how far a person right. was. No, I mean with that said though, I definitely Close, believe that but, they were, you yeah, know, parked vehicles and they were getting out and they were having a gathering and you know there were there were people who knows just having a little gathering, maybe a little party, something who knows. Um, but it was just. It was a little too close to us to be comfortable with because we were out in the middle of nowhere. Nobody knew we were out there. We didn't have permission to be there. So it was like, okay, it's it's probably time for us to, to head on out of here. Right. <coughs> so we started um, a single file line, which was really about the best you could manage with this driveway that had become a game trail. I'd say we were walking to a breast. We were not. We were single file. <laughs> No, no, we weren't. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so we, we, we start up, and the woods are, you know, pitch black at this point. And we have just a very little bit of light from the flashlights that we're carrying on the path. And we had 
there were several of us. So there was um, our buddy Dean up front, followed by his wife. Um, there were several other people in the middle. Um, and then there was me and then Alex. I thought Sandy was back there with us. It was me, you, Sandy, and uh, Sherry. Uh, Sherry in the back. Yeah. So, and mind you, this was a, a group of investigators that we had when we lived in Tennessee. Anyway, um, and you're probably right. Sandy might have been with us. Uh, and, and Alex was standing all the way in the very, very back. So the, the guys were kind of flanking the group, you know, keep us safe kind of thing. Um, since we were in completely unknown territory. Right. So from up front of the line, uh, Dean shouts back to Alex and asks him for a cigarette. Well, this probably would have just been like, yeah, okay, whatever. But Dean, before we had gotten out of the car, had just opened a pack of the same exact cigarettes that Alex smoked and had them on his person, in his pocket. Actually, it wasn't that. It was that you were offered him a cigarette and you were closer than I was. And he was like, no, Alex, bring me a cigarette. Well, I remember that also. So, so okay, twofold, twofold thing. I wouldn't um, pay attention to whether or not he had cigarettes. Yeah, he totally had There's cigarettes. Some secret communication going on here. Yeah. No, 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 so, no, it was unwarranted. Yeah, it was yeah. unwarranted secret communication. Yeah, yeah, I didn't yeah. like it, okay? Yeah. yeah. So at this point, of course, Alex feels very, very obligated to go yeah. up to the front and give Dean the same exact cigarette that I had just it. offered him. <laughs> I was. Yeah, I didn't really want to go back there. But yeah, so, okay, okay. A few minutes later, Alex comes to the back and takes up his position again behind us, you know, the steadfast guardians that they were. And then we find out that Dean, who, mind you, at this point in time, was a complete skeptic, yeah. was calling Alex up to point something out to him and then send him back to the back um, to protect us and know that this thing was there and yeah. we need to be on guard. That's what made me feel less good. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so, hey, no, hey, hey newsflash. I wasn't intentionally in the back protecting people the first time. It just happens to be where I was. Yeah. <laughs> so, we get... We, Been in that situation before, so... We get this story that Dean had actually seen. Uh, he, he There were no details that he was able to pick out because it was dark. But he, he said that he had seen a man um, in the wood line parallel us, maybe 10 or so feet... Um, from our position, only walking in the very, very, very deep, overgrown, thick woods beside us. Which no one should actually be walking in. Correct. No flashlight and not making a goddamn peep. Not one sound. And we were there turning. getting towards <laughs> fall. So, like, there would have been leaf litter all over oh, the place. There, there would have been enough been. stuff on the ground to make noise. Oh, yeah, you're making noise. You're not walking through there quietly. I can walk softly in the woods, but even I make noise. I have gone exactly. hunting with the best of hunters. Right, right, right. And, right, yeah, right. They, mm -hmm. if they step on a leaf, it crinkles. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, whatever this, this male was that Dean had seen um, was completely pacing us um, in deep, deep, thick wood making zero sound whatsoever. Without a light. Without a light. Yeah. 
in the middle of the night. Creepy. Yeah. Guess who the fuck didn't want to be in the back anymore? Alex. (laughs) (laughs) This guy. (laughs) We finally break the wood line and we get back out to where we had parked at the start of this sort of private road. And we all load ourselves back in the car. Uh, We're all ready to get the fuck out of there at this point because we have no idea what Dean just saw. But Dean would not make up a story if, if he says he saw somebody. He saw somebody, plain and simple. Actually, let me clarify a point right here real quick that has to do with that story, okay? When I went to the front to get a cigarette, or give a cigarette to Dean, uh, he also did not tell me what the fuck was going on. Super. He literally told me, hey, I want you to walk all the way in the back and to the left of the path. Wouldn't tell me why. Wouldn't tell me what he saw. That's a fucking, worse. That's a fucking uncomfortable <laughs> feeling. Right? I'm like, I don't know. Why? Here's, here's the worst part, right? So, all right. I want to preface this by saying uh, we stand by everything that we had ever told any one of our listeners. Do not take shit from haunted places. Oh, God, please don't. All right. Yeah. Uh, Dean had found an axe sitting up against the... A, a very, very old rusted out axe. Very yeah. old rusted out one, right? But no. we start hearing noises in the woods and whatnot and... Going you know, back for my axe. And, you know, uh, headlights are, they seem to get closer, but it's fucking hard to tell because yeah, you're in the woods yeah. in yeah. the fucking hills of Georgia. Uh, so he's walking to the front with an axe. He sends me to the back. I got a lighter, bro. I got a lighter and some cigarettes. You're covered. Fuck, am I going to protect myself with? You're yeah, covered. You're Secondhand smoke. It's a natural color. <laughs> That's right. You're good. Kill slow, but it's still kill Smoke the guy to death. It's fine. Anyway, you can carry on. <coughs> So this is um, this is one of two times that Dean has spoken up uh, loudly and clearly during investigations. So we 100% listen to him when he speaks um, because it always saves our literal hides. Um, yeah. Anyway, so we're piled up in the car and Dean starts telling us this story and we are just just glued, eyeballs glued to the wood line looking for absolutely anything that could possibly be out there and nobody sees a damn thing. There is nothing, let alone the fact there is no way someone walked through there completely silently with no light. There, there's, there's no there's way. one explanation. That he was floating. Listen, I'll tell you what, I was not glued to the wood line after that. Because I was just exhausted. Right. 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 I was tired from being oh, paranoid. No. I was if, tired from being paranoid for the last half if, a mile. I was about to say, if that driveway is as long as you say, yeah, that's that's a long time it's, to have your butt, cle- butt cheeks clinched. Uh, right. like, about a mile, possibly a little over a mile. Yeah, that's a long time to be on edge walking. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. And it was quite literally fall. There was leaf litter everywhere. everywhere. There, I mean, there's yeah. there's not a step that you could take that you weren't stepping on dead leaves that yeah. were falling. Right, and like I said, I, I've been in the woods before, and I can step pretty lightly when I need to. Sure. And you yeah, still make not, so you still making a rustle. Yeah, you're, you're like still making some sort of noise. <laughs> and you've got, you know, half a dozen, probably a couple. I can't remember exactly how many people we had, but at least a half a dozen people who are. You know, at this point, realizing that something's happening, we don't know what's happening. Yeah, because let's make clear, like, the last half of that trip was a pretty quiet trip back to the car. So, so... (laughs) after that, it got real weird. So, it was just like... Yeah, it was very, very clear something was going on, even though we weren't told what was happening. Well, you got me in full. Loki just scared the shit out of me. (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't mean it's not. So, so, you know, we were dead silent. 
looking around, trying to hear or see anything at all, and and there was except me, there. I wasn't looking around because I didn't want to see shit. There was, there was <laughs> nothing. There was nothing there. Alex is um, very clear cut. Don't want to see it coming, kind of guy. Exactly. <laughs> True. But but <laughs> bottom line is, if Dean saw it, it was there because he wouldn't lie. Yeah. No, I, I've been in a situation like that before when we were living Indigo. Oh yeah, yeah. And, but that was a little bit different because we were in a car, mm. <laughs> and the thing was keeping pace with us. So that was a little different. But That's yeah, it, it's it's a scary situation when, especially if you have nothing on you. Exactly. Like you said, you had a lighter and a cigarette. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, Meanwhile, Dean's carrying an axe, and what does he tell me? He tells me to go to the back. <laughs> Just to let me get axed first. It's right, cool. Right, right. So. <laughs> Other visitors to Corpsewood Manor have uh, heard uh, a varying array of things. They've heard everything from gunshots to uh, music being played from what they believe was uh, Dr. Scudder's harp. They've heard the Mastiffs uh, barking or panting. They've just just various little sounds. Um, They've even heard um, gunshots and and people yelling. So Mm -hmm. everything from, from good stuff to bad stuff. Um, yeah. This is what I can tell you, all right, about Corpsewood Manor from being there is post 2005, it is still very much backwoods, northern Georgia, <laughs> southern Tennessee border. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's not that far into Georgia from Tennessee. It's not. It's not. But it is. Long. You know. Maybe thirty minutes. Forty. Hell, it's no different than mm-hmm. southern Ohio or. Right. You get you down know, them hills, Kentucky, it's hills, no matter what like, you do. Yeah. It's hills, and it's old Appalachian people. Yeah. And there's some good old boys down in them hills. Yeah. And, um, and and if you are southern, good old boys is not just a term. Either way. So the point is, like, there are people back there, and that doesn't mean they were after <laughs> us. They could no, They could have no, literally no. just been back there partying, but, you know... And this is one of the big the reasons that we say, you know, go to places where you can get permission and you right. feel kind of safe. Like, all right, we're back here in the middle of nowhere. Nobody knows we're here. Right. It, there's, in that particular instance, there's nobody to even ask permission. There's but a nobody knows of we're here. chances that something could have happened. Yeah. But you're literally back in the woods in the hills. So best case scenario is those people were just... Elder teenagers, early 20s, looking to have a good time on the weekend and just getting away from people. Worst case scenario is they don't want people poking around down there anymore because Georgia still believes oh, yeah. that, you know... And somewhere in no, between there... Exactly. And somewhere <laughs> in between there is the fact that we're not the only people that know this story. Are there other paranormal investigators that are poking around between, behind us? Exactly. Right. Right? Yeah. Well, so, that's the thing. It's yeah. You don't know. So, I don't blame anybody. Everybody starts where they can just get access to. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Well, that's uh, the only way you can get to. So, you know, cemeteries, parks. Yeah. For us, uh, I get it. <laughs> going uh, to Corpsewood was actually um, sort of just completely an, a side thought, an afterthought. We just happened to be uh, driving through, and it was like, holy shit, Somerville's like right here. There's something big over here. Yeah, because we go. went down to what is that battlefield that's down there? Oh, Chicken we uh, <laughs> Took a fucked up road trip. 
Yeah. Well, we went down to Sometimes the Chickamauga Battlefield in Chattanooga, and that's pretty much right on the southern border. So we yeah, were like, yeah. you know what? We're like might stones well, throw away. Well. Let's go. Yeah. Hello. Doesn't have multiple things. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it's right over there. Even though it's like a half an hour, because that's the American in us. Yeah, over there. <laughs> and right people over there. listen to us overseas know that because you guys don't think like that over there, right? <laughs> They're like, "Oh, it's a half an hour." Hey, listen, too far. <laughs> no, no. Let me tell you how fast half an hour to forty minutes turns into twenty minutes when my wife actually wants to go somewhere. Oh, I, I, I've been <laughs> in the car with her. I know. Or which, which is ironic because yeah. when I want to go somewhere, twenty minutes turns into forty. Well, it takes yeah. like forty minutes to get there. Yeah. When she wants to go to Old Gray Cemetery in Knoxville, she's like, "It's only twenty minutes away." You, you forget? <laughs> no, I've it's like thirty-seven. Right? <laughs> yeah. well, I want to go here. You know, that's a long way away. No, it's not that bad. Well, I can get there pretty quick. <laughs> it's forty-five minutes. <laughs> get there in twenty. <laughs> we'll be fine. Meanwhile, we're. <laughs> Either way, it's a blast. Yeah. So, yeah, that's my story. All right, I, I dug it. It's an interesting story, and I've I've heard it before. You guys have told me about it before. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I've told you about Corpse. Well. Um, yeah, and that's why I said, oh, that one. Yeah. When you were talking about, because I remember you guys told me the story with Dean and all that. So mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What I could the figure for sure tell you, even Tuesday when I said Georgia was the next state coming out of my mouth, I was like. One of us is doing corpse wood. I don't know which one it's going to be, but one of us two is going to do corpse wood. I'm fairly <laughs> certain as soon as we started talking about it, I claimed it. I was like, yep, I got yeah. that one. Yeah. That's why I was like, yeah, I'm just going to pick a little one. <laughs> uh, for me, it was it was a big deal to do it justice. Yeah. No, I get you. I, I noticed when you started talking, you spoke in a slower tone. Yeah. And normally when people do that, that's so that they actually convey things properly. Yeah, so. yeah. I, I really wanted to do that story justice yeah. because that is... Um, yeah, that was an incredibly tragic dear to my heart. And the problem with getting bigger stories like that, and even like like linear, like Summerwood uh, or Corpsewood, is the bigger the story that you have, the bigger probability that you fucking get some information wrong. <laughs> so you're like, but see, that's did a, I miss something? Oh, did I, I get I, it all? I don't know if you guys do this, but I sometimes research past stories I've done. I'm like, oops. <laughs> I forgot that part. That's, that's the newsflash, guys. We're not perfect either. Yeah. That's definitely another reason why I went the route that I went. So um, I, I, we personally know Ken Summers. He is the founder of Moonspenders. And he what up, is Ken? Exactly. And a paranormal author. Um, and he is he's somebody who I definitely trust and I definitely believe yeah. in as far as paranormal <laughs> things go. And I know the amount of uh, just crazy in-depth research that he does for his stories. And this one was near and dear to Ken because Ken actually is um, not just a paranormal author, but his books, um, his very first book was was just standard. But then after that, uh, he is now into a book called Queer Paranormal because he actually is, uh, he would say queer. So um, LGBTQ, whatever you want to say, however you say that, I might not have said it right, um, is... He, he sort of dove into haunted stories regarded in the gay community. So uh. this one was a big one with these two guys who were murdered. Um, so he did just a crap load of research. And I love the way he writes. Um, so yeah, I've read one of, you gave me one of his books one time. Yeah, yeah. Um, I need the newest one signed, actually. So um, after delving onto his page and seeing his story... 
I saw that part that I had taken from uh, from he, he had taken from a different website so I went to that website and I read even more and then I found the website where they actually did the interview with Dr. Scudder so I was like okay all three of these sites are like folks that's what we call a rabbit hole yes exactly <laughs> But dun, they dun, dun, were right. the absolute most credible resources that I could find. Right. Well, hey, it was a good story, so thank you. Kudos, I'll give you this little the slow clap. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. I owe it all to Ken. Thank you, yeah. Ken, for uh, letting me borrow your your story. So, where's the paranormal one now, though? You know, I had to <laughs> that. Uh, the corpse or the woods. I don't want to do that. I'm not messing sure around. Which, you know. Uh, no, I, I dug it. I liked both of them. That was very entertaining. And obviously, you saw that I was enthralled because Loki came in the thing and I jumped. So, yeah, yeah I was into it. Loki walked into so. the room. By the way, guys, Loki's my dog. He's an yeah. old man. He comes just just clippity-clopping into the room. No, I think he did that on purpose because he walked in, saw me get scared, and walked out. So, yeah. I know he did yeah. that on purpose. So, walked anyways, enough, for, enough joking around. I love it. Checking on us. That's all. What's, uh, what's the topic for next week? Mm-hmm. I think oh. we already talked about it. Uh, first of all, ladies and gentlemen, I would apologize. This? I would like to apologize. Uh, we did warn you that it was going to be a thick sode, but uh, and now we're in thirty-seven minutes into it. Hey, I'm wondering with it. <laughs> Joe just slammed his hand at the table and hurt his I finger. Did. We apologize. Sorry, it, Matt. This happened to be one of the thickest episodes. So I just desperately hope that you enjoyed it as much as we liked telling the stories. Also, Merry Christmas, because we won't be here until the day after Christmas. Uh, But that is the topic of our next discussion. Christmas. Christmas. Christmas ghosts, Christmas folklore, Christmas demons, Christmas witches, Christmas... Krampus. Cookies. Dude, I just had a weird thought in my head. All the witches around me like, Merry Christmas, passing the eggnog and shit. So yeah, we're going to have our Christmas I mean, episode. I Bro, I already got my story ready and you will I know actually, it as soon as you start scanning shit. You'll I be like, yep, that's what Alex totally is doing. I have my story as well. It's <laughs> fucking fabulous and I'm having fun with it so far. So it's going to be fabulous. But yeah, yeah, I love it. All right, Rock Socks. Well then, um, we will let you go with that one and uh, meet us here next week, the day after Christmas, for our Christmas episode. Uh, bring your hot chocolate and your fuzzy blanket and uh, curl Ooh. up on the couch and we're going to tell you some ghosty Christmas stories. And toast it with some Baileys. Put a little bit of Baileys in your eggnog. There you cool. go. Just just a bit. Just a bit. Some I think that's what I'll do next week. There you hot go. toddy. Hot toddies. <laughs> um, Keep away the sick when it gets cold. Until then, uh, please, please don't forget to follow us at facebook.com slash nolightsparanormal you can email me your stories questions, comments, or just just any old crazy shoot the shit kind of stuff you want to say at nolightsparanormal at gmail.com or you can find us on x at nolightspara um yeah, yeah, that's all I got to say. I love you guys so much. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you guys very much for tuning in, including the two new people that listened because my dad recommended it. Thank yeah. you very much. Thank you, Roger. We love you. <laughs> we love you. Hope you're having a great time. Have a great week. Have a Merry yep. Christmas. We will see you again on Tuesday. Thanks, and guys. don't fuck with the Baba Yaga. Nah, <laughs> do it. <laughs>